Well, we are in the midst of a series called Follow Me, where we're learning what it means to follow after Jesus. And to do so, we're walking through a document that's called the Gospel of Mark. It was written by Mark about Jesus, and it gives us great instruction from the word of Jesus of what it means to be his follower. But we believe that this series is one where God intends to bring transformation to our lives. See, we don't believe that God's word just is something we hear. It's something that's alive, and then it transforms us. And, and we're so confident of that, that that we've encouraged you to journal along with this series because we just believe God's going to be saying some things to you that are going to be really impactful. So if you have your journal, I want to invite you to open it up. Uh, we're we're going to be on page 13 of this because what I'd like you to do uh, is just to take a few moments here as we begin this next series of messages in the book of Mark and specifically be attentive to what type of transformation God's gonna do in our life. So if you have your journal, I want you to open it up or just a piece of paper or something to write on. Uh, for those of you that are online, there's a digital copy of this journal as well. Uh, but, but right there on page 13, there's just a space to write and it's just to say, write down how you would like to see God transform your life in the next 30 days. So here's what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us for just a moment and just give us a, a minute with God and, and say, God, what do you want to do in our lives, what do we wanna ask God to do? What type of transformation will he bring to our lives the next 30 days? And at any point, right now or during the message, if, if God moves on you, just, just write that down and be expectant that God's gonna do it. So Father, we come before you, and Lord, we know that you want to change us. So as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us, and Father, that you would give to us what type of transformation you intend to do in our lives in these next 30 days. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, if God's going to bring that type of transformation into our life, it's going to require some spiritual growth for us. But how does spiritual growth happen? What's the secret to spiritual growth? Is spiritual growth something that happens because of our efforts, our, our diligence, and our discipline? Or is spiritual growth something that happens because of God's actions? That, that God moves and God does something and he's the one that brings transformation to our lives. Or is spiritual growth just kind of this like mysterious thing that it just like happens and you don't realize it until it's already occurred? What does Jesus say about spiritual growth? Does he say it's because of our discipline and, and, and being diligent? Does he say it's just something that only God does? Does, does? does he say that it's kind of mysterious? Well, in a way, Jesus says yes to all of those, which at times can feel confusing for us. But Mark is going to clarify. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. And if you want to use one of the blue Bibles that we provide for you, it's on page 1527. Page 1527. Uh, Jesus is about ready to give to us a, a series of parables. These are teachings that he has. And uh, many of them have the same theme in Mark 4. And they have something to do with this idea of spiritual growth. So here are the words of Jesus. Here's what he teaches, Mark 4, verse 3. Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And those that heard this for the first time were a crowd of people that had gathered around Jesus to listen to his teachings. And among the crowd were the 12, his 12 disciples. Those were his closest followers. And during this message, they must have been making eye contact with each other and kind of given the like, do you know, do you know what he's talking about? They're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know what this is about? I have no idea what this is about. Are you going to ask him? You're going to ask him. I don't know. So the, the crowd leaves and they get to Jesus and they're like, hey, we don't get it. What were you talking about with this story? And Jesus responds this way in verse 13. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Which is like, well, well no, that's why they asked. And, and he's clarifying, like, you don't understand this parable. And then Jesus says this, how then will you understand any parable? If you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this teaching, then you're not going to understand any of my teaching. If you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand my word. You're not going to understand my instructions. And that means you're not going to grow. You're not going to be my follower. This parable is so important to understand all of his parables. In other words, this parable is like the instruction manual for all of Jesus' teaching. And instruction manuals are really important. A few weeks ago, we had a, a drain that was broken in one of our bathrooms, and, and I went to fix it. Uh, to be clear, the drain had been broken for months. I just got around to fixing it a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, it's, it's one of these pedestal sinks, and so in order to get to the drain, you have to take the whole thing apart. So I'm explaining this to Stephanie. I'm like, I gotta take the whole sink apart, I gotta deconstruct the whole, the whole thing to get to the drain. And she's like, the whole thing has to come apart? I'm like, yeah, the whole thing has to come apart. And she sees an opportunity. And so she's like, well, since you have it apart, maybe you should replace the faucet. And I'm like, Steph, I am not gonna do that. We're not gonna make this project bigger. I am not replacing that faucet. So the next day, I'm at Menards buying the new faucet. <laughs> and the thought occurs to me, like, this would be a great project to show my son how we can do some plumbing projects around the house. This would be a great opportunity to do a project with dad. I'll show him how we do projects. So I get home and I walk in and I'm like, hey buddy, we're gonna do this project. And uh, so I bring some stuff in and I'm like, all right, let me get the tools. And so I'm bringing all the tools in. And I was like, okay, uh, hey, uh, meet me in the bathroom, grab the faucet and, and bring it in here. And he yells out from the other room. He goes, do you want me to bring the instructions? It's a formative moment right here, right? This is the moment we explain to him, this is how to properly do home projects. There is only one proper way to answer the question, do you want me to bring the instructions? And you know the answer is, no, somebody said yes, you don't know what you're doing over here. No, there's no, like no, you don't bring, you can't read them anyway, right? And he walks in and I was like, buddy, like you don't need the instructions, that's why YouTube was invented, right? Like, why would I read what the manufacturer says about how to install it when I could watch some guy in New Jersey struggle to do it himself, right? <laughs> Two and a half hours later, I've got like every tool I own on the floor of the bathroom, and we are not getting this thing figured out. And I am frustrated, and it's just not working, and I'm realizing I'm probably going to have to go back to Menards. 
Anytime you go back to the same store the same day on a project, like you know it's a project, and if you've been there, you know the risk of doing that is you run into the same employees in the aisle, right? And they give you that look and they're like, oh, you again, right? Which is Minnesotan for you have no idea what you're doing, right? And so I'm like, I don't want that in my life. And so like, I'm, I'm like, okay, we gotta get this thing figured out and I am desperate, I have no other uh, choice, no other option. And I was like, someone bring me the instructions, right? All else fails. Okay, spiritually speaking, this story that Jesus is teaching us can be helpful this way for us. That when we are struggling to grow spiritually, there's something in this story that can become really instructive for us. Because it shows us why we may not be growing in our spiritual life. So Jesus, because he cares about his disciples and he cares about us, and he wants us to understand, he takes the time to explain this story. So here's what it means. Jesus begins by saying this in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. So anytime throughout this parable and the parables that follow throughout Mark chapter four, anytime it's referencing the seed, that's representing God's word. That the seed represents the word of God. And it's, it's no mistake that Jesus begins with the word of God. It's like him saying spiritual growth happens when God's word comes into your life. You need God's word for spiritual growth. If you don't have God's word, you will not grow spiritually. Spiritual growth is not something that's about us. It's not about our morality. It's not about our behavior. It's not about us getting better. It's not about our feelings. It's when God's word gets into our life. You cannot grow something without seed. You need it in order for growth to take place. So important for us to understand that. So it begins with God's word. But what's interesting is when God's word goes out, it has different reactions for different people. Here's the first person, verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first condition that Jesus is describing for us here is the person that has hard soil. It's like a path. It's, it's so packed down. It's so hard that the word, the seed, can't get in. It just sits on the top. And then the enemy comes and takes it away. And so the question is, well, how do we know if, if that's us? And, and on a broad scale, like when, when you have a hard heart, God's word just doesn't seem to be able to penetrate. And there's a sign here for, for us that we need to be cautious about that whenever we're getting hard in our heart toward God's word, we're at risk of, of his word not getting in us. And just a couple ways that we can indicate that that might be going on in our life is that when we become indifferent to God's word. Like when you hear God's word and you're like, okay, yep, heard that before. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So what? You don't, you don't recognize, you don't, you don't respond to the significance of God speaking to you and his truth. And defensiveness is a little bit different. Defensiveness is, is when you're like, hey, don't put that on me. Like, that doesn't apply to me. Like, you, that's judgmental. You don't know my situation. Like, that doesn't, that can't fit in my life. Like, no, like, I'm, either way, you're not letting it get to you. You're pushing it away. When, whenever you sense that you're becoming indifferent or a little defensive, be careful. There may be a hardening of your heart 
And the seed, the word of God's not gonna get in and it's not gonna produce in your life. Then there's a second condition. It's in verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the second person is like the, the rocky soil. And this is the person that has that shallowness, that they don't have any roots. And so because there are no roots, there's no resiliency to their spiritual life. So when difficult situations come, it's, it's like they just walk away from the relationship with God. They, they just get pulled away. They just give up. And a sign that, that that may be going on in our life or the life of somebody else is when we have misguided expectations about what following Jesus is gonna all be about. Well, one of the things that I, I'm seeing more and more of is that people approach religion and they approach Christianity or they, they, they think of Jesus as, as like their, their own personal Jesus. It's not the real Jesus. It's the one that they wanna create in their own mind. And it's all about their own therapeutic approach. And when you approach Jesus that way, you approach scripture that way, and it's kind of like, if this doesn't work for me immediately the way I expect it, I'm leaving it. And that's, that's not gonna happen, that's not gonna cause spiritual growth in your life. Like when your expectation is, is the moment I do something, it's just gonna suddenly start working out for good. That when, when that's your expectation, that, that's a sign for you that you might have some rocks in your soil, and it's going to restrict your spiritual growth that we need to go deeper with our roots to really understand what God is saying and to build a sense of resiliency. Then there's a third condition. Verse 18, still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. So third condition is thorny soil. And thorny soil are, are people who are distracted and who are deceived. I, I just love how clever Jesus is by talking about how the thorns are, are that sense of deception in our life. Oftentimes, we can be in thorny soil when we're being deceived by the allure of material things. And, and those things are deceptive because at first, there's nothing wrong with material things. There's nothing wrong with having resources and, and, and money and, and, uh, and houses and, and vehicles. and these are, Nothing's wrong with any of that. But you gotta be careful because there's a fine line between enjoying it and starting to find your identity in it. And it's kind of like thorns. You know, when a thorn first comes up in your yard or your garden, at first it's, it's, it's like all green and you know, cute and a little shoot comes up and you're like, oh, I'm gonna have a plant. And then you come back a couple of days later, it's like, whoa, that's a thorn. It's deceitful in how it grows. How do you know if that's true in our own lives? Well, I'll venture to say that almost all of us struggle with this because we just live in an environment in the United States that's very thorny in our soil. So it's just around us. But a good sign that thorns are growing in our life and they're choking out what God wants to do in our life is when we start worrying more about those things than about what God's doing in our life. 
When our concern starts to be about all the things materially or our, our position or our career or our job or how things are going at school or what my friends are gonna think about me or am I accepted or all of those things, when that starts to grow more so and we're more concerned about that than what God might be doing in my life and, and how God's kingdom is moving forward and, and what, what God is growing within me, that is a sign that we've got some thorns growing in the soil of our own heart. And then there's a, a fourth condition. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So the fourth condition is the person who is good soil, and they have a good return. You could say they have a great return. I mean, if you could make an investment and get 30, 60, or 100 times the return, you'd take that every time. That's a great return. And so, so we hear this list, we see this list, we understand what Jesus is talking about with the soil, and my initial reaction, I'm sure, is like yours. I'm like, I want to be option four. Right? Like, I want the good return. The, the first three soils had zero return, like unproductive. But the last one has this phenomenal return, transformational type return. That's the one I want. So the question becomes, how do I get the good seed? And it's almost like Mark knew that we were gonna ask that question. Because he includes another parable of Jesus just a few verses later to help us understand this whole thing about the seed that Jesus is teaching us. Here's, here's what he writes in, in Mark 26 or, or 4, 26 to 28. Speaking about Jesus, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. So our question of how do I get the good seed is actually the wrong question. Because Jesus is saying all the seed is good because it's the word of God and the word does its thing. And so we hear this and we go, well, but then how can spiritual growth happen in our life? And, and, it, and it's almost like we're frustrated but by the fact that we can't control spiritual growth in our life. And it's true, we can't control spiritual growth in our life, but Jesus doesn't tell us that to frustrate us. He tells us that to focus us. He's saying, don't focus on the seed. I want you to focus on the soil, on the condition of your heart. Because what he's trying to get us to understand is that the ground needs to be prepared for God's word to do its work, right? So, so you could say it this way, where, when the ground isn't good, there is no growth. And I'm so thankful that God's the one that's in charge of that, but there are things that we can be attentive to in our lives to make sure that the ground of our heart stays fertile for God's word to come in to our lives. So what are those things? What are the things that we can do to help make sure that we're prepared to receive God's word so it can do its work within us. And I just wanna to suggest to you that one of the most important things that we can be doing are spiritual habits. That there are certain spiritual habits that we can put into our lives, which are habitual practices that we do on a regular committed basis, that they can impact our lives and they can help to make us ready to receive God's word. And, and the reason that that works is because habits determine our hunger. That's just what habits do. 
if you do something on a regular, habitual basis, it just starts to form you. It starts to shape you. It starts to change what it is that you desire and what it is that you hunger after. I mean, this is true just in, in food and eating. When I was growing up, I, I was a notoriously picky eater. Like, I, I would not touch fruit. I would not touch vegetables. I was just, I ate terrible. Like, I just, my mom was worried about me. She's like, you're going to lose your hair when you grow up, right? <laughs> so I just ate terrible. And then I got married. And uh, Steph and I got married. Steph's a really healthy eater. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. And so I, I'm, you know, we're, we're married. She's making food or we're making food together. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that's like picking out, you know, what we just made or not eating this or, you know, so I just start eating it, try it a little bit. And all of a sudden my tastes start to change and I start to enjoy fruits and I start to enjoy vegetables and I start eating more and more of them. And it, over time, it changes our habits. It changes our hunger. It changes what we long for. A couple of years ago, we're, we're doing meal planning and stuff's like, what do you want to have on Sunday night? And I was like, I don't know, how about chicken? And she's like, what should, what should go with it? And out of my mouth came these, this word. I said, uh, man, you know what sounds really good? We should roast Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and it was like the 10-year-old me was like, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> it's what habits can do. They have a formative and a, an accumulative effect on us. So let me just give you three spiritual habits that, that can help if, if we're maybe leaning towards some of that unproductive soil. So here's, here's the first of the spiritual habits. Corporate worship. Worship is incredibly important, and, and we need to be people who worship individually, but when we worship corporately, together, with the church, it softens the soil of our hard hearts. And the reason it does that is because when we come together collectively, we recognize and we're reminded that we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. And so often, the reason our heart has gotten hard is that it's all been about us. But when you step in corporately, you realize this thing is so much bigger. And I'm invited to participate in something that's well beyond me. And it, it can soften the soil of our heart. And worship is so much more than singing. But there is something that happens when we sing and in song and in music that just has a way of capturing our heart. So I just want to reflect on, on one of the verses of one of the songs that we just sang a few minutes ago, Christ Be Magnified. This is verse one. And in verse one of Christ Be Magnified, this is what we just got done singing collectively. This is, were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry? Then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. What's that saying? What that is saying is it's saying that if somehow we could listen to all of creation, if somehow you could, you could get in there and just hear what creation has to say, if somehow you could give it voice, that it would with one collective unified voice say, Christ is our creator and he is magnified. And when you understand that, you start to realize, wait a minute, then if I'm, if I'm separated from that, if I, don't, if I don't say that, if I don't believe that, that puts me at odds against all the rest of creation. But when I recognize that, here's what happens. I'm joining with all of creation to declare what is true, 
that I'm joining with all of creation to give Christ glory. And would you get that image in your mind and then you're out in nature and, and, and you see how all of nature points us back to God. It just, it just softens your heart. That only happens when we commit ourselves to regular corporate worship. Like every Sunday being committed to that. And if you're trying to raise kids to help form them, I'm telling you, you need this, they need this even more than you do because they're so impressionable. And the habits that you institute now for your children and your students will last them a lifetime if you insist on them and teach them about why it matters. There are so many today who don't have that foundation. And it's, and it's like their heart can grow hard and not receive God's word. Okay, here's the second spiritual habit that we can put into our life, and it's actually being around our friends. Did you know that being with friends can be a spiritual habit? Being with a friend who inspires you to love God more is a wonderful spiritual habit. To intentionally put yourself in relationships with people who love God can be a way of helping to deepen the roots of your faith. They help prepare us for the, the rocky times that we might go through, and they keep the rocks out of the soil of our, of, our, of our soul. I have some friends in my life who are just phenomenal leaders. I mean, like world-class leaders. And, and these are people that every time I'm around them, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better leader at Wooddale. I want to be a better leader for our staff. I want to be a better leader for my family. I just want to be a better leader. And I have people in my life who are just incredible dads and husbands. And whenever I'm around them, I just, we don't even have to talk about those things, but just, just how they are inspires me to want to come back and be a better dad and be a better husband. I got people in my life who are just, they have this incredible prayer life. And whenever I'm around them, I'm like, man, I just want to pray like that. See, God has wired us to be social and interactive people, even those of us who are deeply introverted. But, but what, what happens is, is, is when we're around other people, it forms us. And it can help focus us and inspire us to, to become more like what it is that they're moving toward. And in fact, there's great wisdom in this. Solomon in Ecclesiastes explains this to us. He says two people are better off than one, for they'll help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And often the reason that many of us have a shallow faith and we don't have roots and we're not resilient is we've been trying to do this by ourselves, Because we bought into this lie that, that spirituality needs to be a private thing and I don't invite other people to participate in it with me and I keep it to myself. And that is not true and it's not good for us. But when we're with other people who talk about Jesus and who love Jesus and inspire us to love him more, it puts roots down in our faith. And the best friend we have is Jesus. And our friends tell us the truth. And you know what Jesus says to us? Jesus says to us, in this life, you're going to have trouble. So he says, you're gonna have trouble. But don't worry, don't lose heart, because Jesus says, I've overcome the world, and I'm with you, and I'm not gonna leave you. And, and hearing that truth should give us the right expectation that we're gonna have trouble and things are gonna be difficult from time to time and that's not a reason for us to walk away from our faith but to lean into it even more. 
Being with friends is so helpful. If you don't have a friend in your life who loves Jesus, I, I pray that God would bring one and just start looking for them. I, I promise they're there. You just need to find them. And it will help to inspire you to love God more. And here's the third and the final spiritual habit that we can put into our lives, and it's practicing generosity. Practicing generosity helps to clear the thorns that choke out our soul. Reality is, we all live in thorny soil. We just do. It's the environment around us. And when you live in thorny soil, you need to, on a regular basis, pull those thorns out. Otherwise, they keep growing and they just take over. And that's so true for our lives, spiritually speaking. Here's why practicing generosity helps to get rid of those thorns that can grow up in our lives. It's because when you practice generosity on a regular basis, whether that's giving financially, whether that's giving of your time to volunteer or to help somebody in need on a regular committed basis, or for those of you who are phenomenal leaders, one of the ways you can practice generosity is, is by being generous with your influence, the influence that you've, you've gathered over a life of being a great leader. Share that influence with other people. But when we practice this, when we practice generosity, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I can give this away and I'm still okay. I don't need that in order to be significant because I'm trusting God. And that habit of regularly giving it away practices and teaches you my identity is not in those things and it keeps our heart clean and that soil ready for God's word to come in. I, I told you before about the buckthorn in my backyard. And if, and if you were to come over to, to my house and you were to see my yard, you might say, I, I don't see a lot of buckthorn growing. And that's because habitually I weed it. I take it out on a regular basis. And if I don't, it'll just take over my backyard. And, and I have met and talked with many people who say to me, you know, Kyle, when I have more, when I've got some more money, when I've, when I've got some more time, when I get some more influence, then I'll start practicing generosity. And, and I'll say to you what I say to them, no, you won't. Because if you're not practicing it now, you're not gonna practice it then. Because it's a practice. You learn how to do it. And, and it's as ridiculous as saying the, the way that you get a, a good yard is you wait until all the thorns grow and then you weed it all at once. But if you have thorns, you know that does, that's not how it works. You have to do it on a regular basis, which is why regular generosity is so important for keeping the soil of our soul fertile for God's word to come in. For some of you, you might be thinking, Kyle, we just talked about how Jesus is gonna bring like transformation to my life. And the thing that I'm looking and praying that God's gonna transform in my life is a big thing. Like it's a, it's a massive thing. And here you're giving me three simple steps of basically go to church on a regular basis, hang out with my friends and be generous. And it feels a little small. Jesus has one more parable for us. As you continue in Mark 4, Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is, is like the mustard seed, which is the smallest, one of the smallest seeds that you plant in a garden. But when you plant it, it becomes a large, impressive plant that will transform a garden. Jesus also says, speaking about mustard seeds, that if we have faith, as small as a mustard seed, 
we'd be able to see mountains move. The secret to spiritual growth is not trusting in ourselves or our actions, but trusting in God. And we practice that by taking steps to remind ourselves we're not trusting in ourselves, but we're trusting in Jesus. And those small but faithful steps add up, and God honors them, and it prepares us to hear his word. And then God, in his own timing and his own way, brings an incredible multiplication that does bring transformation to our life. Because that's the secret of spiritual growth. We're ready to receive God's word, but it's his work in us that happens. We'll pray for us. Father, we are people who like to control things. Father, we are people who like to cause things. And Father, we often can be people who are really impatient. And so Father, I pray that, that your spirit would, would give us strength and wisdom. Father, that, that we, can, we can become committed to on a regular basis take intentional steps of faith to let your word bring transformation to our lives. Father, we can't do this on our own. We need your spirit and we need your help. So Father, I pray, would you meet us here in this place? Father, would you give us the strength and the courage to take those steps and to remain committed, especially when they become really inconvenient in our lives? And then Father, would you do this? Would you give us perspective? That when your growth starts to happen in our life, Father, would you give us moments where we can look back and realize, oh my goodness, look what God is doing. Father, we are convinced that you will bring that type of change and transformation into our lives. And so we cultivate the soil of our hearts and we wait expectantly for your word to do what it does. Change us to be more like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.